mountains are still being moved. Hello, and welcome to Raising the Standard with Pastor Owen Moody of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. You're invited to join us each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for an anointed full-length message from Pastor Moody. After the message, we'll be back to let you know how you can contact us. On this podcast, Pastor Moody brings us a message entitled, Our Greatest Need. His scripture text will be taken from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Here now, Pastor Moody. Habakkuk 3, verse 1, the Bible said a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, prophet upon Shigianoth. And that word Shigianoth means it's, it's a mindset, it's a, it's a style of praise where they, you just kind of sing and groan and shout your prayer out. Amen. You just pray from the depths of your spirit. And here's what he said, O oh Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid, O oh Lord, Revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. God, I need a revival, is what he was saying. And he was saying, Lord, I want you to know that I heard what you said and I was afraid, talking about the previous chapter, that that deals with God's judgment upon the nations around Israel. This is a a prayer that uh, literally talks about Deliverance for the church. It speaks about Israel, but it's prophetic about the church age as well. And so he says, Lord, I've heard your speech. I was afraid. And he said, oh, Lord, revive your work. We need a revival, not just a shout and sing in good time revival, but a revival of the work of God. A revival where souls are being saved. Come on, somebody. Bodies are being healed. Strongholds are being put down. Shackles are falling off. Demons are being cast out and where Jesus is Lord, can you say amen? That's the kind of revival we need. And he says, so revive thy work in the midst of the years and in the midst of years make known, reveal yourself. That's what it means. The, the reference there to that part of the scripture is revelation. Give us revelation. Let us see, God, what you're doing. And then he says, in your wrath, remember mercy. Show us some mercy, oh God. I want to preach this morning uh, on a thought of our greatest need, our greatest need. Father, we come today in Jesus' name. We love you. We thank you for your goodness and grace, and we just pray your richest blessings over us today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I want to just talk to you a little bit this morning about what I think our greatest need is. Our country's in trouble I don't want to sound repetitive. I don't want to sound like I'm just kind of going on and on. Things have gotten out of kilter completely. In California, they passed a ruling this week, the governor out there did, that you can't sing in church because it's dangerous. Well, I guess if you're a devil, it is dangerous to you, can you say amen? But you can march in the streets and riot without masks and be in mass numbers and they, they give that their blessing, but you can't sing in church. And I'm not talking about, you know, the motivation for all that. I'm, I'm leaving that alone today. But I'm just telling you there's a need in America that's being ignored. Can somebody say amen? I have been doubtless like many of you troubled, to say the least, and at times disturbed. I have been and discouraged. 
over the state of our nation. I've watched in disbelief as the revelations of renewed hatred and violence and injustice have been constantly reported and steadily streamed over every media source available. I mean, you can't even, anytime you pull up your phone, all the headlines you see are just distressing. Can you say amen? I'm afraid that many have abandoned reason and even reasonable solutions. I'm aware that as a nation, we are in crisis. I want to say that. I hope everybody hears this. We are in crisis as a nation. We are at the point of a meltdown. Even while many are, are, while this is going on, many are, are playing and promoting and manipulating millions with their political agendas. They don't want an answer. They want to get elected or reelected. Can somebody say amen? That's their, their concern. I thought like this, there's been enough. Now there's been too much violence, too much destruction, too much death. Too much disregard for our fellow Americans. We're being separated and divided. And some of it's being done purposefully. Can you say amen? And not by the offended parties either, but by those who hope to gain from what's, from what's going on. I'm going to preach to get to the word just in a minute. But I'm troubled because I believe that we're approaching perhaps a point of no return. We're approaching a place that so much is going to be done. I mean, so much is going to be lost. So many are going to be hurt. There's going to be such a great divide that's being developed that we may not be able to repair it or ever get back to an acceptable form of life in America. Now, I know people say, well, you're not supposed to preach that. I don't know why not. Who is? Come on, somebody. And I feel like that that our federal government, the state governments, the local governments, I feel like they've failed us. Uh, not, I'm not being harsh. I, I think many of them are, some of them are at least are trying to do the best they can, but others only have a political agenda in mind. Come on, somebody. The thirst for power is wickedness. Are you hearing me? And I hear then some things coming from church leaders that are contrary to the word of God. Therefore, if they're contrary to the word of God, they're unacceptable for the church. Many Christians are letting their frustrations speak rather than hearing from God. I started thinking about this and a few mornings ago, Sister Moody and I shared a devotional message uh, we were looking at by the late Billy Graham and Here's what Brother Graham said. I, I wrote it down. I wanted to quote it. It was exactly what he said. Now, this was talking about back, this happened probably in the 70s. Back during that time, there was some, uh, t you know, some tumult going on then as well. And Billy Graham said, I asked a university professor what he thought our greatest need was in America. The professor said, I may surprise you because I'm not a religious man. I'm not a Christian. He said, but I believe that the greatest need we have at this hour, watch this, is a spiritual awakening. A spiritual awakening. He went on to say that will restore individual and collective morals and integrity throughout the nation. But notice this, even uh, a, a secular man, an intellectual said, what I see going on in America today, the answer is a spiritual awakening. 
I think we'll go forward if we'll go back. Can you say amen? I think if we'll go back to the principles of the cross, back to the word of God, I think if we'll go back to preaching that Jesus saves, Jesus forgives, Jesus heals. Can you say amen? I think if we'll preach to the, from the word of God to a hurting nation that Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless, but I'm gonna pray the Father. He'll send another comforter. The Holy Spirit will come. And can I tell you, nobody knows the things of a man like the spirit of a man that's in him. And nobody knows the things of God like the spirit of God that can get in a man and change his heart and direct his power. Has, I think that what our greatest need in America is, and I've been preaching it, I've been trying to say it the right way. I'm trying to say today, I think the solution to the problems in America is an old fashioned, heaven sent, heartfelt, Holy Ghost, Jesus preaching, cross preaching, amen, revival seeking, a move of God that'll change the hearts of men and women in America. If you believe that, give God praise. Hallelujah. When you're in desperation, you find out that what you need is a move of God. When we were in Cleveland, Tennessee the other night, sitting at the drive through at Wendy's, and uh, Felicia and a couple of them were in front of us in a car, and Amanda and I were in my truck, and that phone call came through from Tommy, and the desperation in his voice, he was with Brian. He thought he, he, thought he was dying. He thought, I'm losing right here before the ambulance can get here. And he called for help. There was desperation. Listen, when you're looking at life and death, you need a move of God. Come on, when you're looking at burning buildings, you need a move of God. Is anybody with me tonight? When, we're, when you're looking at a nation that's about to implode, the answer is revival. Hallelujah. The answer is a move of God. Whoa, I didn't come today to just sit down and have a little comfortable church. Amen. I thought about it this morning. I said, God, if we're not careful, the nine o'clock suits us so we can have the rest of the day to do what we want. Or the 1130 suits us because we can sleep in a little bit. And then we got Sunday afternoons free. But I'm here to tell you, I'm preaching for revival. I'm preaching for a move of God. I'm preaching for an anointing to be poured out. I'm looking to pull down strongholds. I'm looking to cast down imaginations. I've come this morning to break the chains off of us that hell has tried to put on us. I've come to stop the devil in his tracks because I believe we can have revival. Hallelujah. Well, glory. Give God praise if you would. We've been preaching it. We've been praying it. Annette, we've been expecting it. We've been looking for it. We've been proclaiming it. But I think the problem is that some people are not even convinced or at least ready yet to acknowledge that that's what we need. I'm done with being politically correct. I'm done with social distancing. Amen. I don't mean that in the physical sense. I mean in the spiritual sense. I'm ready to let the Holy Ghost fall down and overtake everything that we're doing. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Would you just give him praise for a moment? Glory, 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 glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Isaiah chapter 35 has long been referred 
to by preachers and theologians as the gold standard scripture, scriptural reference to revival. For time's sake, I will read some excerpts from Isaiah 35. He said, the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad, and the desert shall rejoice and bloom as a rose. Verse two, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. Verse five, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart or a deer and the tongue of the dumb, those who can't speak will sing. For in the wilderness, in the midst of your dilemma, in the midst of your desert existence, in the midst of your distress and trouble, he says, I want you to know that waters shall break out and there'll be streams in the desert and the parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty lands uh, springs of water. I want you to know he's not talking about just water and natural rains. He's talking about an outpouring of the Holy Ghost that flows through the land like rivers and streams and where there was dry places and destruction, there'll be pools of the water of the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing me? What we need is an outpouring we need a deluge of the Holy Ghost we need Pentecostal breakout across America it's time for the church to get over it's denominational barriers and it's labels and we need to get to the place where we cry with one unified voice oh God oh God will you not revive your work in the midst of the years and in wrath will you remember mercy I believe the answer for our problems in America will come from heaven and from nowhere else. Hallelujah. That's the only place. Oh, he'll come from. He says, verse eight, a highway will be there and a way and it shall be called the way of holiness. And he says that no unclean thing shall pass over it, but it shall be for those the wayfaring man, though fools that shall not Air therein. In other words, you don't have to be a genius to have revival. Are you with me? You don't have to be a, a theologian to have revival. Are you with me? You want to have revival? Get hungry. You want to have revival? Get down to business with God. You want to have revival? Can I say some old-fashioned things? Amen. Push the plate back. And Jesus said, when you fast in secret, God's gonna reward you openly. You wanna have revival? Walk in your room, shut the door. And Jesus said, when you do, there I am. And he said, what you pray in secret, I will answer openly. Are you hearing me? Can I just say this? I'm a pastor, I might as well. It's my message. You wanna have revival? Dig a little deeper, give a little more, and do it secretly. Because God said, when you what you give in secret, he's gonna open in the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings. I'm here to believe that the problem in America today is they've shunned God. They've took commandments out of the classroom, prayer out of the school. Now it's worse than that. They blaspheme his name. Amen. Are you hearing me? On a regular basis on primetime television, they disregard God. They count us as fools who believe him and the heavens have become brass. But I want to tell you when God's people pray, like Isaiah said, God God will open the heavens and look down, rend the heavens and come down. We can have revival if we'll get after God. Give him praise if you would. Hallelujah. 
He said, the ransom of the Lord, verse 10, shall return and come to Zion, the church. Amen. With everlasting song, with songs, everlasting joy upon their head. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Can I tell you something? Worship ought not be something that a worship leader has to lead us into. We shouldn't have to have somebody up here trying to pump us up to sing. I love the way you're shouting. Uh, we ought not have anybody up here trying to, trying to stir us up with a song. But it said we ought to return with songs. Ain't that what it said? We ought to come in with everlasting joy on our head. We ought to enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Come before his presence. Can I tell you something? You ought to be so fired up you're singing when you get out of the car. I don't care if you're singing I'll Fly Away or I'm a walking hallelujah. You ought to be singing something. Can you say amen? You ought to be praising God when you get out the car. Hallelujah. You ought to be worshiping God. I want to tell you, I've seen the move of God. I know what it looks like. I've seen revival in this church that broke out and lasted four weeks and three days. Annette, I watched people back then with a gravel parking lot get out of their car and run across the parking lot because they was anxious to get in because they was already feeling the spirit. They... Come on, this is what revival looks like. It said they will come in, thank God, with songs, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow, and sighing will flee away. Our greatest need is revival. How many believe that today? I'm not going to preach all day, but let me go on. How do we have revival? I know I sound like a broken record. You got to pray. Come on, we got to pray. Are you praying? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I want to ask you, how much do you pray? How much have you cried out to God for our nation? How much have you cried out to God for this coronavirus thing to go back to hell where it came from? How much have you prayed for a move of God to heal our land? Amen, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. We've quoted that when we wore it out, but one of the last things God says is, I will heal their land. How many times have we prayed for a healing? Uh, years ago, I preached a message on the prayer of Jabez. And after that, and I'm not saying, you know, I've started it, but I, I preached on it. And probably six or eight months after I preached on it, Rod Parsley preached on it. The next day, you know, books were being written about it. It went all across the country. And I just thank God he gave me a revelation of it. Amen. And I want to just read this to you just a little bit. The prayer of Jabez. First Chronicles 4 and 9. It said, now, Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, I bear him with sorrow. Now, I want you to get that for a moment. His name meant I came from a hard time. His name meant I came from sorrow. His name meant I came from poverty. I came from a distress. I came from trouble. Does anybody else in here feel like that describes you? How many could, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but think with me. You've been in that place. You've been in sorrow. You've been in distress. You've been in brokenness. Amen. You, you've been in a place of hurt. Then verse number 10 says that Jabez called on the God of Israel and said, oh, that you would bless me. 
Oh, God. How many has ever felt like that? I need a blessing. I'm not talking about a whoop. I'm not talking about a yah, yah, yah. I'm talking about a blessing. <laughs> Hallelujah. He said, oh, that you would bless me. Amen. Hallelujah. Indeed. Enlarge my coast. That means increase my boundaries. And that your hand might be with me. I want to walk in your power. That you would keep me from evil. That it might not grieve me. And then it said, and God granted him his request. You know what I believe? I believe that everybody in this building could start praying today and say, Lord, I need you to bless me. Hallelujah. Let me just raise your hand right now and say that. Say it with me. Say, oh God. Come on, I can't hear you. Oh God, I need you to bless me. Hallelujah. And then he went on and said, not only do I, I, I just want you to bless me indeed, that means in tangible ways that are visible, I need you to then enlarge my coast and I want your hand your presence to be with me because you can keep me from evil and sin can't grieve me. Can I tell you something? I'm surrounded by sin. Sometimes I feel like we're we're waist deep in alligators. Can you say amen with the hell that's going on around us? But I stand here today to tell you I'm still yet 42 years saved and sanctified, Holy Ghost filled and fire baptized. I love Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm not giving in to what this world keeps trying to flood us with. Come on, give him praise if you would. Prayer is essential. Preachers need to pray. Prophets need to pray. Apostolic people need to pray. Bishops need to pray. Can you say amen? Overseers need to pray. Preachers, pastors, Sunday school teachers, song leaders, worship leaders, amen, musicians, those on the instrument, every one of us that mounts the pulpit need to be prayed up so the glory can come down. I'm just old enough to be old-fashioned. I believe if you're living in sin, stay off the pulpit. Hello. Are you with me? And I'm not a legalist, but don't you walk up here looking like something off the street. Hello. I thank God. You know, our group looks good. They look great. Amen. I thank God for them. Years ago when Brother Nick took over as worship leader, he said, what's your dress code? I said, here's my dress code. I want to look decent. Are you with me? You're all getting quiet. I said, I don't want to see nakedness. I don't want to see flesh. I don't want to see ungodliness, you know, ungodliness and carnality. I don't want t-shirts with vulgar words on them. Hello. This is the church house, not a bar room. Come on, somebody. Oh, you're just getting quiet. Leaders ought to be prayers. Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 3.14 and said, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Sir, our solution will take place first in the heart before it changes the society. 
Amen. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you may be, uh, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Amen. Hallelujah. May be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. In other words, that you could know the fullness of God and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled. Say that with me. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he said, now unto him that's able to do exceedingly and abundantly, amen, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, amen. There's not gonna be a move of God in the land until there's a return of glory in the church, amen. Revival starts First of all, amen, judgment begins in the house of God. Revival begins in the pulpit. Revival begins with the ministry. It goes to the pew. It spreads from there to change. Listen, if it doesn't change society, it's not even revival yet. Can you say amen? It's just another feel-good meeting. So it starts with prayer. It continues with repentance. Hallelujah. He said in God, in your judgment, that's what that word means. In your judgment, will you remember mercy? In other words, God, we're willing to turn around so we can have the mercy of God. We're willing to repent. David repented in Psalm 51. Listen to this Psalm 51 in verse one. Uh, It says to the chief musician, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. This tells why David was praying this. Then it says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Watch what he says. Blot out my transgressions. I want to stop right there before you go to the next verse. That's a far cry from the theology of today. The theology of today is, well, I'm saved by grace. Grace covers my sin. Preacher, you shouldn't say anything about my sin. Because after all, I'm a Christian and grace covers it. Let me tell you something. David said this and David was a man after God's own heart and and it said that he was convicted, he was confronted by Nathan because he had took another man's wife and she had gotten pregnant and he'd had that man killed and they had a baby and it died. Are you with me? Uh, The judgment of God was upon God's chosen anointed leader. And, And then He said, according to your loving kindness and your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. If I'm gonna have revival, if there's sin in my life, you hear me, I've got to deal with it before I can move forward. Amen. Somebody said to me, well, you think people's gonna go to heaven's got sin in their life? That's a legitimate question because there are some that you have to be perfect, preach you have to be perfect to go to heaven. Are there any takers on that load? Any perfect people in here? Let me get my head down. Are there any perfect people in here? No. But it's also not, it does not mean that I can just live in sin and still make it because Paul said in Hebrews, if you sin willfully, after you've come to the knowledge of the truth and tasted this good gift of the Holy Ghost, there remains no more sacrifice for your sin. In other words, the blood doesn't cover you while you're sinning willfully but a certain fearful looking for and fiery indignation of judgment which will devour the adversaries. Well, then where does that leave us? Here we are. If we walk in the light, 
as he's in the light. We have fellowship one with another and the blood of his son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. In other words, my presumptuous sins, the mistakes that I make, the blunders that I make. If I'm trying to live for God, you hear me. If I say or do or think something I shouldn't do, can I tell you what's happened to me for 42 years? That Holy Spirit inside of me checks me and says, what are you thinking? What are you doing? And there I am driving down the road saying, oh God, please forgive me. Wash me clean. I'm trying my best. I'm walking in the light. Is this all right? And the Bible said that we have forgiveness of sins if we walk after him, walk with him, and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, I repent most every day of my life. That may dis, uh, you know, that may uh, cause you to be dissatisfied with me or, 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 or lessen me in your eyes a little. And I'm not out here drinking, chasing women, doing all that stuff. I'm just here to tell you I'm trying to keep a pure mind. I'm trying to keep a pure conscience. Amen. I, I'm trying to react, amen, not react, I'm trying to respond the way the Holy Spirit would have me to respond. Is this good preaching? So if we're going to have revival, we're going to have to have prayer. David went on in verse number nine of that, I won't read the whole chapter, verse nine, he said, hide your face from my sins. He's talking to God, blot out my trans, my, my iniquities, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew within me a right, a right spirit within me. Listen, it's not a right spirit that hates people. It's not a right spirit that's prejudiced, racially prejudiced. I'll just get specific. It's not a right spirit that looks down on people because they're not as well off economically as you are. I want to tell you, according to the word of God, if you're rich, God made you rich so you could minister to the poor. How do you like me now? I'm just telling you, we got to have the right spirit I know saved people who have the wrong spirit. When I say spirit, it's little s, not capital S. That's what David said. Amen. He said, create in me. I want you, Lord, to, to, to verse number 10, to renew within me a right spirit. Then he said, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. If I'm not careful, my spirit, the spirit of man, can grieve the Holy Spirit. And I don't have to go to the liquor store to do it. Are you with me? I can just talk wrong, think wrong, feel wrong about people. Are you with me? If you think you're better than anybody for any reason, you've got a bad spirit. Mm. Let me go on. Verse 12, he said, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with your free spirit. I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted unto you. One of the true marks of revival is people getting saved. Amanda and I were driving to, on vacation. We were in the car together for 13 hours. We were talking about revival. We talked about the Brownsville revival. It's been called the greatest revival in the history of our nation now. I was in that revival. It was amazing. It hit in Father, on Father's Day, 1995. Millions came from all over the world. They were drawn from internationally. They were drawn to that revival. At that revival in that place in Florida, 
literally prostitutes and drug addicts would come off the street under conviction because they got too close to the building. Are you hearing me? I stood in line for four hours to get in church. We don't have that problem this morning. Come on, let's get real with God. America needs something more than, than church services to suit, make us comfortable. Thank God. Here I am. I sound like I'm beating up on the flock. I'm not. I'm, just, I'm, I'm talking to America. I'm, I'm saying to the world, our greatest need is a real move of God. A real move of God. Let me hurry. The third thing we need, are you ready? It's a realization of God's realness. I believe in God. Let me believe in God. I have people ask me questions. I I do a lot of funerals. And uh, I've been told that I preach a great funeral. That's not what I want to be known for. I'd rather be known for birthing people than burying them. Don't get me wrong. If you die, I'll preach your funeral. If I die, please get somebody to preach mine. Are you with me? But I, I think what we need to, I have people that they ask me about heaven. What's it going to be like in heaven? And some of those same people I talk to them, and they don't even know the Lord. Why are they worried about heaven? They're going to hell. We need to tell them the truth. I mean, people die every day living a horrific life, and the first thing people say is they're in a better place. I hope so. It's not my call to make, but I think not many times. I would not be much of a man of God if I could preach to you the beauties of heaven and not warn you of the horrors of hell. This all right. We need to get back to the Bible. We need to get back to a realization that God is God, and if you go to heaven, you'll go his way. This all right. A realization of God. Who he is. Psalm 81 said, Give ear. They were in trouble and they cried out and they said, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. They said, Thou that led Joseph like a flock, thou that dwells between the cherubims, shine forth. In other words, they knew who God was and they're saying, Lord, just listen. How long has it been since you felt like God was listening to you? The Bible said this is the confidence that we have in him in 1 John, that we know that he hears us. And that if he hears us, if he's listening, we have the petition that we desire of him. And God, we know that one man said, we know that God, the blind man, when Jesus opened his eyes, and they told him, they said, the, the priests and the Pharisees, that religious crowd said, don't you know that man's a sinner? He said, I know this, God doesn't hear sinners. Woo! Unless they're praying to Repent. What a, what a theological statement. That came out of your Bible. That's not theology. I wouldn't move to you. That's Jesus' theology. That man said, we know that he doesn't hear sinners. But they're saying, listen, O shepherd of Israel. Psalm 80, and then verse 3 said, turn us again. O God, cause your face to shine on us. We'll be saved. Do you hear that? They know that he's God, that he's the shepherd. Verse 4, O Lord God of hosts. which That Lord God of hosts is a term that means he's the God that commands not just nations, but he commands 
angels and cherubim and a multitude of heavenly hosts so great that none could. Do you understand? That verse, that phrase, O Lord of hosts, means God that is in control of everybody and everything in heaven, in earth, and beneath the earth. God's in control. Then he said, How long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? You fed them with the bread of tears. In other words, you caused them to be sorrowful. You gave them tears to drink in great measure. You make us a strife unto our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. I, I want to say this. The hatred, the division, the prejudice, the injustice that is being propagated and promoted in America now is coming from both sides. And it's being fueled by an ungodly media. Are you that hates everybody? Amen. And and somebody asked me, said, "Who do you think it is?" I said, "I think it's the devil." Because Jesus, that's pretty simple theology. Good things come from God and bad things come from the devil. Jesus said, for the thief, John 10 and 10, for the thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Are you hearing me? What's going on in our cities today? So that's the devil. But Jesus said, but I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. So all of a sudden, we need to realize that the answer is not more hatred, not more prejudice, not more injustice, not more strife. The answer is a revival that causes people to love God and as Bill Gaither said, love each other. Hallelujah. Am I preaching all right? I promise next Sunday I'll get on something else. I'll do better. Let me go on. Realization of who God is. You make us a strife to our neighbors, verse 6. Our enemies are laughing. I'm going to tell you, the world is laughing at us today. You hear me? I remember when they flew those planes into the Twin Towers. How many know sometimes things stick with you? And they flew those planes into the Twin Towers, and they collapsed, and thousands died, and we were attacked on our own land. And all, of all the scenes and of all the horrific things that were said and realizations, you know what sticks in my mind? They went to the Middle East and there was a Muslim woman with that rag over her head and her face just barely exposed. And she looked at the camera and went, and started laughing and squealing like some kind of demon. Hello? They were rejoicing at our calamity. They're doing that now. Hell is laughing at us as well. Because here we are, a country that was the greatest evangelical, missionary-minded, Christian nation on the face of the earth. And Brother Brian, we can't even pray together because we have turned our back on God as a nation. Let me go on. Verse 7, Psalm 80. Turn us again. Oh, God of hosts. God, you're in control. How many believes that? How many, how many believes God can turn this thing around? Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. Psalm 85 and 6, he said, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in thee? Then he says, show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. Amen. Psalm 85 and 7. Show us your mercy, O Lord. Grant us thy salvation. 
In Isaiah 32 and 15, he says, until, say that with me, until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field be counted for a forest. In other words, perpetual, ongoing, life-giving blessing. I'm going to conclude as they come to the music. I wonder, is revival... Is a move of God a reasonable expectation among Christians? Huh? I'm asking you, is a revival, a move of God, is that a reasonable expectation among Christians? Should we think that that could happen? I believe we should. I believe we read the Bible and let it speak to us this week on vacation, I had a lot of time to just get in the Word of God. And I was thinking, God, show me what revival looks like. Show me what revival really would feel like for us today. Because, hear me, I might think revival looks like the one that we had in 1991 in this church that went four weeks and three days. But it might not look like that today. I might think an awakening would look like Brownsville again. That was in the 90s. I mean, those things have changed since then. What worked then might need to be a little different now. I mean, it takes the same, the same formula, the same prayer, the same repentance, the same realization of God. But I mean, our expectation might be a little bit different. It might, it might manifest in a little different way. Is this all right? The results should be the same. People getting saved, people getting healed. Devils being cast out, shackles falling off, strongholds being torn down. Revival is a reasonable expectation. In 1 Kings 18, 37, Elijah's praying at Carmel. He says, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you're God and that you've turned their heart back again. And the Bible said when he prayed, that's after they'd sacrificed and all that, built the altars and Baal's prophets had cried all day, nothing had happened. Verse 38 said, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And verse 39 said, When the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. Say that with me. The Lord, he is God. They said he is the God because they were being challenged between two. And verse 41, Elijah said unto Ahab, Get up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the abundance of rain. You can hear it if you seek it. You can feel it if you seek it. How many of you have ever been outside after a dry season when rain is coming? You can smell it. You can taste it. And how sweet it is. I dare you look at somebody and say, oh, how sweet it is. A move of God in these last days. In John chapter 4, Jesus had met that woman at the well who'd been married five times, was living with number six, and then I like to say she met number seven. Praise God. She met the God man. And the Bible said she left her water pot, went into the city and said, 
till the men come see a man which told me all the things that I ever did is not this the Christ. And they went out of the city, verse 39, said the many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him because of the saying of the woman which testified. He told me all that I ever did. And when the Samaritans were come to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. Jesus stayed two days and many more believed because of his own word and said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said for we have heard him ourselves and we know indeed that this is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Are you hearing me? That city got saved. That's revival. That's revival. In Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus got saved and, and uh, he went back to Jerusalem and, and the, the, the elders didn't want to believe him. They thought he was still, and of course he became the apostle Paul, but something else happened in Acts chapter 9 that sometimes we overlook. We don't say anything about it. It said uh, in verse number uh, 32 that Peter came, uh, it came to pass that Peter went throughout all the quarters and he came down into the saints which dwelt at Lydda. And then the scripture said that while he found there a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years. In other words, he was paralyzed. He'd been in the bed sick of the palsy for eight years. And Peter just looked at him and said, Aeneas, Jesus Christ, make you whole. Arise take, and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. Listen, and all that dwelled at Lydda, the one town, and at Saran, another town, saw him. And they ever won Turned to the Lord. We need revival. We need healings. We need conversions. We need prayer. We need repentance. We need a realization of who God is. You know what's causing all the political strife in our nation? Because we have two parties of people who think that they have the man who is the answer. And neither one of them are naming Jesus Christ as that man. Are you with me? Christ alone. Our greatest need. Oh God. Our greatest need is revival. Our greatest need is restoration. Our greatest need is reformation. That's all, all that's part of revival. Our greatest need is an awakening to reality, to realization, who God is. God, I, you know, I used to, stand with me, I'll, I'll go on all day, but I had, had a man one time that used to, I was talking to him about the Lord, and he looked at me, and Tommy said, me and the old man upstairs have, our, have an understanding. And I said, I don't know who the old man upstairs is unless you've got some old guy in your attic. But God's not an old man, and God doesn't come to an understanding to, with you. He invites you to an understanding with him. Come let us reason together. Though your sins be like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they'll be red like crimson, they'll become as white as wool. And if you're willing and obedient, I'll allow you to eat the good of the land. That's Isaiah chapter one, verse 18. But instead, we've relegated God to be somebody that we can tell what to do. And tell what we want and criticize him if he don't do what I want when I want him to do it. And I believe God is sitting back and saying, I'm not going to move till they give me my glory. That's why we got new worship songs. Huh? But I like Amazing Grace. Well, there was a day when John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. And when he did, it caused him a lot of criticism. 
because the church believed they handled salvation and nobody else. Are you with me, the Church of England? I, I can tell you some history about it. There's, there's been, there was a day when every old song was a new song and somebody didn't like it. The Holy Spirit is doing, he said in the last days, a new thing and I'll raise up the tabernacle of David which is a tabernacle of praise. God said, I'm going to get my glory back before the last day move of my spirit. Are you praying? Have I preached all right? Are you praying? Are you repenting? Are you willing to give up something to get something? I dare you touch your neighbors. I'm willing to give up something to get something from God. You don't preach. People don't preach about sacrifice anymore. They used to sing, Jesus, use me, and oh, Lord, don't refuse me. Surely there's a work that I can do. I was reading about a meeting one time back in the 60s, and Tozier was there preaching. And in the meeting, he preached on missions that night. And they said God moved greatly when he got done preaching. He said, how many of you young people in this room will give your heart, dedicate yourself, be willing to be a missionary to serve the Lord around this world somewhere? And several of them started toward the aisle. And one mother grabbed her, her young daughter said, no, don't you go down there. I don't want you in some foreign land. And that girl said, mommy, I'd rather be somewhere in a foreign land in the will of God than at home comfortable doing nothing. And mom let go of her. Tozer said to the altar she came. And he called her name and said she became a great missionary. We don't preach on sacrifice no more. I'd rather my kid play basketball. Sports have taken the place of prayer in a lot of homes. I, I'm not popular when I preach like this, but I, my God, I'm telling you, our great need is not another ball team. Our great need is a revival. That's right. And it might be a good thing that the sports stadiums are shut down if it'll cause people to pray and repent. I heard about one guy that said he didn't know what to do since all the sports were off TV. He said he looked around and saw this young, attractive, intelligent woman sitting on the other end of his couch and realized that that was his wife and he had forgotten her. A lot of people have forgotten God. Are you with me? God, our greatest need is revival. Our greatest need is, are you saved? I mean, what's life going to be without Jesus? Can you think about your children growing up in this society or your grandchildren without Christ? The way things are messed up now. It's always been bad, but it's worse now. Our greatest need is revival. Our only hope Maybe I'm just pleading my heart this morning. I may not even be preaching, but I'm just telling you, our greatest need is a move of God. And it won't happen if we don't pray and repent and have a realization that God is real. He is still God. He's not nervous. He's not wringing his hands saying, oh, what's going to happen? He's in control. Can you say amen? And set our hearts on you, Lord, come and live. We hope you enjoyed today's message and we'll tune in again next time. 
Raising the Standard is the media ministry of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. For more information on the various outreaches and ministries of the Richmond House of Prayer, please visit our website at www.rhop.life. Thanks for listening.